0: podcast i'm your host steven Igo. man what a game inside dowdy ficklin stadium on saturday night late into the night well past 11 o'clock when it goes final pirates emerge victorious 47 45 in a four overtime thriller a lot to unpack in this football game i'll give you my initial thoughts we'll run through some of the numbers what this win means for ecu man did the pirates need this one you could say season hanging in the balance on so many of these overtime plays on so many occasions throughout the ball game when ecu was down 17 nothing and the early going things did not look good at all twitter was in meltdown mode everyone was ready to fire every single coach Uh, they were ready to bench every single player then surge happens right before halftime Huge offensive touchdown drive when the Pirates needed it most after quite honestly an abysmal start offensively. They put together a 75 yard drive, holding Ayler's scores on a keeper. That kind of got them back in the game. Defense steps up on the ensuing series. He gets a pick, and then, of course, you have the touchdown throw to Isaiah Winstead before the half. And all of a sudden, 17 0 becomes 17 13 going to the locker room. Yes, they botched the PAT. We'll get more into that uh, on our negatives list later on, but we're going to focus on the positives to start with, guys. This is a this is a huge win, and this is a morale booster. Mike Houston said it best immediately after the game. You know, this is one of those you've had your heart ripped out a few times already this season against NC State, against Navy to finally come out on the right side of one of these games uh it's huge and you needed this one we talked about it with the schedule ahead you're you're going to be underdogs the next three games UCF which is a game I think the Pirates can win with momentum now playing at home which we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Knights and Pirates but I, I I assume the Pirates will be underdogs maybe a touchdown or so heading into that game uh, maybe a little less going into next Saturday night. But then you go on the road to BYU, Cincinnati, with a bye week mixed in. So this was just a, a crucial win. You get to 4-3, and three, you get to 2-2 two and two in conference. Only need two more wins for BOW eligibility. If you want to get crazy, if you beat UCF, maybe you can start thinking about getting back into the conference championship mix. But lots to do between now and then. For now, this is a huge win. Pirates emerge victorious 47-45. Four overtimes, and just one of the more thrilling games we've seen inside Dowdy Fickham Stadium, especially the fourth quarter on when the Pirates took the lead with their touchdown drive. We'll get into should they have taken a knee, should they have played to run some more clock off. You know, you can debate that until you're blue in the face, and I think it's a fascinating argument because there's, there's fair arguments for both sides, and we'll talk about that shortly. But Pirates take the lead with 145 to go. Memphis – with a timeout, drives down. Very similar to last season in Memphis when Seth Hennigan led a game time drive after the Pirates took the lead late. Game goes to overtime. Really thought Memphis might think about going for two there, but with their kicking situation being so good, they opt to kick the game time extra point, send it to OT. The two teams trade touchdowns in the first two overtimes. Neither team gets the two point conversion. And the second overtime, which is now required by NCAA rules on a rule change this year. So ECU had to go for it after scoring their first touchdown. Didn't get it. You had a lot of uneasy, nervous energy in the the building at that point because Memphis can score with a touchdown and walk it off with a two-point conversion. They get the score, but then they run it. They they went with some eye candy on that two-point conversion, ran some motion, uh, tried to sneak it up the middle with the run but great job by the ecu defense as they did for much of the night and in the, in the run defense phase outside of a run here or there that forced third overtime the tigers of course are able to get their two-point conversion to start that period ecu comes back with Quite a play from Keaton Mitchell and a, a headsy play from Holton Halers. Nothing was open, but you got to get rid of the ball. You got to give your playmaker a chance. He goes to his fourth or fifth read, he said after the game, as uh, he dumped it off to Keaton Mitchell in the flats. Keaton Mitchell made the guy miss with these, scoots into the end zone. Man, that guy's a special player. And Keaton said they best had the same situation in practice one time. And they practiced this situation, basically go best of five from the three yard line, which is a two point conversion every tuesday to start practice and i've seen this i saw it back in preseason camp highly competitive drill first team offense first first team defense second teams get a few reps as well and it's been pretty balanced all those reps paid off in this overtime of course ecu didn't get one two-point conversion but outside of that they were really good in those situations then defensively got the stop when it mattered of course you get the, the fade ball to C.J. Johnson on the fourth overtime two-point conversion, the slot fade. Guy was all over C.J., probably got away with P.I. C.J. makes the incredible contested catch, and then Memphis has to has to get theirs to tie it and force a fifth overtime. A little bit of pressure on Hennigan forces a slight overthrow to the tight end, who was just uh, all, over ECU, all over ECU's defense all night. But this one could not be corralled. Falls innocently to the ground. Pirates win it 47-45. Crushing blow for Memphis, which just lost a, a difficult game where they blew a big lead last week at home against Houston. Huge momentum swing in terms of a win for East Carolina. Their players stormed the field. Second straight year, they beat Memphis in overtime with a two-point conversion stop. And the Pirates improved to 4-3. and three as a result and a lot of good vibes in the locker room a lot of good vibes post-game we always get better post-game interviews better post-game content when the pirates win everybody's in a good mood they're willing to talk mike houston came up and slapped the podium uh how about them freaking pirates he yelled and and, you know that was that was awesome you know of course we're not you know we're just the media so we're not going to react with a A thunderous roar but uh got everybody on twitter everybody on social media got a good kick out of that because he was fired up post game and rightfully so i mean this look i mean this is not i'm not gonna say this is the the biggest win in program history but this is a good win this is a quality memphis team ecu defeated we've heard all this talk about ecu doesn't have any quality wins this year Mike Houston hasn't beaten that many teams with winning records, et cetera, et cetera. And the Pirates go out and they find a way to make the plays to win this football game. And that was what was missing versus NC State. Certainly, they put themselves in position but didn't make the kick against Navy. Couldn't make the plays when it counted. This time, they make the plays that decide these types of football games. This is this is the American Athletic Conference. You have to make those plays. Keith Mitchell makes his guy miss gets into the end zone one-on-one plays in crucial spots we saw Memphis make several of them on deep passes throughout the night you know Seth Hennigan played great his receivers played great you got to give Memphis credit but you also have to give ECU credit for really sticking in there fighting out, fighting it out Holton Ehlers played I thought a, a great football game uh, didn't make many mistakes at all watching it live Maybe one play he could have ran that he, he threw it to Winstead, got tipped away, and the Pirates had to settle for a field goal. But outside of that, I mean, I thought he played one of his better games of the year. And as as it so often does, the Pirate offense goes as Holt Naylor's goes and as this, you know, offensive line goes. It just seems like there's – when they get into a rhythm, they're really tough to stop. But when they aren't in a rhythm, they are they're just brutal, which is what the first – two and a half uh first quarter and a half was I mean there was no there was nothing they were doing offensively and they did have the one drive but uh couldn't hit win set on the fourth and goal play that they were having penalties they were going backwards constantly on first down whether it be sacks or loss or screen plays that went backwards I mean it was painful to watch and the boo birds were out uh, I'm never a big fan of booing your your home team, but you know to be honest, during that secondary or during those seconds, I think a lot of people um, were frustrated because it was just you're coming off a bad loss where you played terrible in the second half against Tulane, and you opened the game with just a, a terrible showing, and, and you know I tweeted at the moment when they went down seventeen nothing, this thing is in danger of going off the rails. There was no momentum. There was no life in the building. And, you know, if you go three and out there and you don't go down and score, the game is teetering on the fact it's over. And you said, I I was trying to keep a level head because 17 nothing really this day and age in college football, especially with Memphis not having elite defense. I mean, yeah, it's not ideal, but it's not like the game was over. But it was teetering. And if you go three and out there and they score again, tough to come back in that football game so uh, props to the offense for stepping up when it mattered most and you know we haven't talked too much about the defense they gave up some passing yards but how about and I mentioned it in the podcast this week we had not seen game changing plays from the East Carolina defense and especially the secondary like we saw sometime in the past And, and in order to win these types of football games you have to get those game changing plays and the Pirates got them The pressure forcing the the terrible pass from Hennigan, his one really awful pass of the night, to Fleming on third and long that set up the short field, you know, that's a a good defensive call, gets Hennigan pressured, he makes a mistake, and ECU brought pressure a lot during the night, Hennigan made them pay on some occasions, other occasions, the Pirates got home, that's the risk you you bring with the the blitz, but right now ECU has to do that, you know, with no consistent four-man pass rush. Either way, really good to get that pick from Fleming, sets up a short field, as we mentioned earlier, changed the game. But then the Julius Wood pick, and not only the pick, but to return it for the score, you know, that's such a momentum swing, and Julius made a hell of a return, had, had the quote of the night after the game, which, by the way, you guys can check out all the postgame interviews full and uh, live on the Hoist of Colors YouTube page. We also got them up on hoistofcolors.net. But check those out. Uh, Julius Wood with the quote of the night saying, uh, you know, he he saw the green grass, wanted to get into the end zone, had some guys on the way trying to tackle me, but they didn't do a good job. And I mean, he made some he made some nice moves. Pick six. Place goes nuts. Ties the game at 20-20. ECU ends up taking the lead 23-20, then 30-23. And of course, Memphis comes back. And it ties the football game, but uh, I thought Julius Wood played uh, a really good game Overall one of his better games as a pirate he finished the night according to pro football focus as the highest graded defender For the Pirates, Jeremy Lewis also had a really good game as did Malik Fleming a pre-Washington got 65 snaps at cornerback across from Fleming Juwan Powell a little banged up limited to 12 snaps um, and also struggled a little bit early. And so you saw the Buffalo transfer step in, do a good job. I think he actually had the deflection on the pick six, or he at least was in that position on the Julius Wood pick six. And then the heads up play by Wood. So this secondary right now, a little banged up. You got Jawan Powell. Tegan Wilk was limited to one snap. He's been dealing with a knee. Uh, you, you got some defensive linemen that have been banged up. But the guys are gutting through. I mean, no bye week right now, seven games into the season, this team could really use a a day off, but it's just not not coming right now. You got at least two more games to get through before you get there in two physical games. So guys are battling right now. I think it's showing a little bit defensively. Pass coverage continues to be a little bit of an issue, but Seth Hennigan's gonna light up a lot of off a lot of defenses he already has this year. And then offensively, you can't say enough about Isaiah Winstead. Was slowed down a little bit in the second half, but absolutely played out of his mind. 77 snaps, 13 targets, 9 catches for 154 yards, and a score doing most of that in the first half. Ryan Jones reeled in all 5 of his targets. He had a good game. C.J. Johnson, 4 out of 5 on his targets. We saw a lot of snaps from Josiah Hatfield and him and Kerry King were heavily involved in the offense with Jalen Johnson out again we did not see Brock Spaulding we heard about the potential there that from Donnie Kirkpatrick on Wednesday that he could play he did not play uh, at least on offense so that you know that will remain to be seen how they'll do that going forward but even Aaron Jarman the tight end got 27 snaps Shane Calhoun got 27 snaps Ryan Jones 47 snaps and so you didn't play too many guys offensively, but it was good to see Hatfield get a season-high 57 snaps. Kerry King also 22 snaps. So working in a few more guys at the skill positions, which is needed, I think, to kind of take some pressure off this this offense right now. And then Keith Mitchell, I mean, what can you say? Dealing with a probably a bad hip still. He goes 70 snaps. Played out of his mind. Again, in overtime, he was just delivering clutch play after clutch play. His run, where he basically made three Memphis Tiger players collide into one another, was something else. I mean, he is just poetry in motion when he's healthy. So, Marlon Gunn playing banged up. He goes 11 snaps, and Keith Mitchell goes 7. He knows the running back saw game action. And so it's a uh, situation right now where you're a little banged up there. Even Keaton said after the game, he probably is going to be, be a little sore, but he had to do it for the team. And I thought he looked so much more comfortable in this football game compared to Tulane, where he was just kind of unsure of himself. And in this one, he just looked sharp. He looked on it. Didn't have the home run ball, but he had a 20-yard run, and 19-yard run, consistent yardage against a really good run defense. So also credit the offensive line. I thought Isaiah Foote and showed Strother inside played really good with the stretch running game uh, as well. And, and Noah Henderson made some good blocks off the right side as well. So big win for the Pirates. Again, 47-45. Let's take a quick break. We'll further diagnose this one. We'll talk about some of the bad, some of the, the key moments in the game, uh, and continue on with this discussion after a big ECU win. all right welcome back into the hoisty colors podcast before we dive further into this game little recruiting nuggets big recruiting weekend for both football and basketball and ecu after the win got a big commitment from a 2023 recruit on a visit so stay tuned for that in the coming hours it may already be out by the time i post this podcast but a huge commitment for the 2023 class for ecu to wrap up a successful game day so be on the lookout for that we'll continue to have uh full recruiting coverage coming out of the visit weekend for the pirates along with game coverage as well on hoist all right we haven't talked about it really yet but a a big change on special teams the pirates make the switch to andrew conrad the freshman kicker out of the uh the home state of north carolina he gets the call over Owen Daffer, who still handled kickoffs, did a good job in that phase, but Conrad did his job. He made all of his attempted kicked extra points. He made his first career field goal attempt from, I believe, 23 yards away. Kicked it with confidence, kicked it with good height. Uh, thought that he, he did everything that was asked of him, so really no complaints. And we said on the podcast, go into the game, that if ECU didn't make a change, You know, it was almost kind of head-scratching because you you just have to, at some point, make a personnel change if you're six games into a season, which ECU did. Coach Houston said they really timed it, reviewed it, everything in the competition and practice this week and ended up going with Conrad. They also moved Alex Harper as the snapper for punts and field goals. Previously, they split that duty with uh, Garfield and Harper, the two different snappers. Uh, Harper handled all the snaps on this one. Luke Larson was still the holder. Did not have a clean hold on the second PAT, which is a disappointment. So you still ended up coming up short of having a clean PAT game, uh, which is is still kind of hard to believe. But overall, the kicking situation was better. The snapping situation was better. So uh, they'll continue to work on it. They'll continue to have an open competition. But I would assume right now it's, it's going to be hard for Conrad to give up those duties as long as he keeps performing in a game. And so we know he was a talented kicker, preferred walk-on, commit. And he's also done some punting, big leg. And, and it, his his thing is just accuracy. And he's he's got plenty of distance. It's just about operation time accuracy. And this was a good start for him. And hopefully a springboard for the Pirate special teams to build off of so a lot of discussion at the time towards the end of regulation ECU gets they actually commit a penalty they had third and three from five false start on Avery Jones moves the ball back to the 10 third and eight they go with a in my opinion kind of an obvious quarterback draw empty backfield you know I, I, I reach to uh Case and Romelio our intern at the time, was like, this has quarterback draw written all over it. Third and long, you want to kind of play it safe, don't want to commit a turnover. Surprised Memphis didn't read it better than they did, but it was blocked up well. Holton ends up going down at the one-yard line for a first and goal from the one. At that point, Memphis uses a second timeout, which was good. Make them burn another timeout. But you got first and goal from the one. They have one timeout remaining. You know, do you think about taking a knee there? Or maybe not a knee, but just simply snapping the ball and falling at the line of scrimmage if you're the quarterback, centering the football on a play or two? You know, I've got conflicting thoughts about it. A, you know, you don't want to give this offense too much time. We saw it last year. Similar situation, like I said. ECU scored a touchdown to take the lead. Memphis came back to tie it because there was too much time remaining. Seth Hennigan is a really good football player, and Memphis is a good offensive football team. So even though ECU scored to take the lead with well over a minute remaining, he just felt like there was too much time left. Memphis gave ECU the score. Their players didn't even try on first and goal from the one as Keaton Mitchell ran it in, that allowed them to save plenty of time and their timeout, which ended up coming up big during the drive. They used it on a play that was short of the sticks and probably would have burned 20 more seconds. And they ended up stopping the, or they ended up scoring the game time score with 19 seconds left. So you could have fallen on the ball there at the one, made them use a timeout. If you go two plays of falling on the ball then you're probably running running the clock down to less than a minute remaining and they have no timeouts. But then you also risk the possibility of it being third and goal from the one or two. And at that point, there's no guarantee you're going to score. Memphis is going to try to stop you most likely. And if they do stop you, the game comes down to a kick. And while you would get probably the last kick of the game or one of the you know last plays of the game with doing some rough math here around 20, 15 seconds remaining. Do you have confidence in a freshman kicker and the holder and the snapping situation, even to make basically an extra point? I can't, I can't say that anybody does. So, you know, I I don't know. I mean, maybe the best of both worlds would be to eat it on one play there and essentially just force Memphis to burn his final timeout. But if you start trying to get too cute, it could end up backfiring. So, um, you know, I tweeted at the time, hindsight's 2020. You probably would have liked to have taken a little more time off there or made them burn a timeout. But, you know, it's easy to say that after the fact. And, you know, that's why Mike Houston gets paid the big bucks to make those decisions. He ends up electing to score. Memphis comes back, sends it to OT. East Carolina, fortunate to win the game in overtime. But, it, you know, it's something I plan to ask about on Tuesday at the press conference just if they're in that situation again, do you try and play it to where you burn more time or do you just take the score 10 times out of 10 and not risk not getting those points on the board, not taking the lead? You know, the other thing too, if you score the touchdown there, the worst they can do unless they, can, unless they decide to go for two is they can match it and send it to overtime. If you're in a situation where a touchdown gives you a, a slight lead, Not a full touchdown lead. Maybe you're a little bit more strategic in how you burn the time there, especially with a potent offense like Memphis. But either way, just kind of a fascinating discussion about what you can or should do there. And I don't think there's really a right or wrong answer. And luckily for ECU and Pirate Nation, the Pirates were able to come away victorious in overtime. So some of the the bad from this game, you know, we can't all talk about the good. We always got to talk about the, the bad. I mean, there's still things to clean up. Again, first half penalties, offensive line had some pre-snap penalties, which is inexcusable at home, especially when you're having three or four. You had a personal foul penalty, I believe, on C.J. Johnson for mixing it up. Second week in a row, C.J.'s got a uh, personal foul or unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. You know, we know he's an emotional player, but that's something he's got to get better at. I mean, you're costing your team points, yards, etc. when you do that type of stuff. Dead ball fouls will kill you. Memphis had one later in the game that was costly as well so penalties were disappointment were disappointing uh secondary again still giving up too many too many yards uh some of the balls were just contested plays and you tip your cap to memphis for those types of plays but guys were running open guys were running free the tight end would leak out nobody would pick them up there were other plays where guys were just wide open Part of that is going to happen when you blitz and you don't get home and you're running the zone blitz. But there were other plays where ECU was playing coverage and, and Memphis was just able to find holes in the zone too easily. And, you know, good offensive staff over there at Memphis. It's hard to cover people. This a and in college football, look at Tennessee and Alabama. They have plenty of talent on the defensive side of the football. They can't stop it either, either one yesterday in a high-scoring game. So it's hard to play defense. And, it, you know, no matter how much coverage you're playing, no matter how much you're mixing it up, but there's no doubt right now ECU is, is missing missing pieces in the secondary from a year ago. We've talked about Jaquan McMillan, but also it just seems like there's a disconnect at times back there. Tegan Wilk, unable to play, really really has not been healthy now for three or four weeks, and I think that's hurt ECU because he's one of your more instinctual Productive players on the back end. We know he's good versus the run, but really smart player. I think they miss him right now Hopefully soon rather than later. They can get him back to more full health um, You know, uh, you know the coverage wise it was good to see a Pre-Washington come in and play a solid game and hopefully he can give you more of that going forward We know Jawan Powell is excellent versus the run But at some point you got to have some DBs who can cover the pass as well Especially against teams like Memphis, this was more of a, a pre-Washington game or a cover corner game versus a run-oriented football game. And so it was good to see a pre get out there and play his most ball in a pirate uniform and do well. We also saw some, some different faces defensively. We saw Devin King play some slot, uh, play some safety as well and then we saw Michael Edwards the Georgia Southern transfer get some some snaps nearly double digit snaps at the SAM position and so we've seen some more players rotate in defensively. Emmanuel Hickman did not play the starting defensive end of a few years now and so Chad Stevens and Elijah Robinson got a lot of run at defensive end and I don't even think Stevens is 100% right now. So again banged up on defense. And that's that's starting to show a little bit, but credit to the guys for fighting. You had 17 quarterback pressures in this football game, including three from Stevens, which was a team high, along with Malik Fleming, who came in on a couple of blitzes and got to the quarterback. Uh, Jeremy Lewis had a sack. Shondre Mims had two sacks, mainly on coverage sacks, but just, you know, he's got a motor that won't quit, so you give him credit for sticking in there. So we did see some pressure get dialed up, but overall... Pass defense continues to be a concern. Conversely, run defense continues to be excellent. And again, part of this is because you've got some players in the secondary. You've got some linebackers who are stronger right now against the run more so than the pass, and that's showing, and that's a good and a bad thing depending on who you're playing. Special teams, we talked about the, the botch snap, but I thought outside of that, and outside of the the, the Hatfield return to begin the game where he hesitated, and decided to bring it out you know you can't have that I thought the rest of the game he was much more decisive in his decision making as a return man which was good to see I thought special teams wasn't bad and then offensively we we've, <clears throat> we've hit it we've beat a dead horse how many times now just inconsistently offensively um, unable to cash in on the fourth and goal which was disappointing that led to the 17 nothing deficit sloppy start to the game and then <clears throat> second half they turned it on, and in overtime they make the plays when it counts. So that was good to see. But they still, you know, if you want to beat UCF next week, you got to be more consistently, more consistent offensively. You can't make some of the mistakes that they're making right now, and that's that's something they got to continue to clean up. You look at the end of the day, yes, they put up forty seven points, but you had the pick six, you had the Malik Fleming pick that returned the ball down to the 16 I mean that's essentially handing you 14 points right there you had 30 at the end of regulation so really the offense accounted for 17 points 16 17 points 16 points due to the missed extra point um, but again conversely when the game was on the line they made the plays that led to a victory so you can only complain so much but still still things to work on Again, credit to whole nailers. The, the guy's playing banged up. He is nowhere near 100% right now. You can see it on his face. You can see it during the broadcast. You can see it live in person. Shoulders giving him issues, but he's toughing it out. He is a tough, tough dude, whether you, you love his play or not. You can't deny the fact he is a pirate. He wants to win more than anybody. And on Saturday night, he played one of his best games of the season, which was good to see. So ECU emerges victorious, 47-45. The white helmet curse is broken. ECU emerges victorious against a quality opponent not named UConn in the white lids. I don't want to hear anything more about it. Shut the hell up. Helmets have nothing to do with how the team plays. They have nothing to do winning or losing. They have nothing to do with the final score. It's all about what happens on the field. But, man, these jerseys, these uniforms are clean as hell. I want to see them as much as possible. I know next week is a blackout against UCF, so I assume we'll see the black uniforms, which I'm not crazy about, but, hey, I'm fine with every now and then. Um, You know, I love the Nike era black uniforms. These are, meh, they're all right. But, hey, if you win in them, people will love them. And this is a big game. UCF at home. Pirates owe UCF one. I said on a Memphis Tigers podcast that was on last week, if you get the win over Memphis, you can kind of look at the UCF game as the opportunity to send a giant FU to UCF as they leave the American Athletic Conference. So big game ahead this coming Saturday. All right, that'll do it for the Hoist Colors podcast. Again, just wanted to wrap up the Memphis game. We will have more coverage in the coming days. Also look ahead to UCF as well. But big win for the Pirates on Saturday inside Daddy pickland Stadium. We'll be back with you in the coming days. Thank you guys for listening.